Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Woods, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. This is episode 94 on November 24, 2022. As always, um, if you want to support this podcast, you can do so by going to consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate. Much appreciated. You can do that in fiat or in cryptocurrency if you so choose. All the different varieties are available. Also, do check out the colleagues at Consumer Choice Radio. Um, they're doing great work over in North America uh, on two radio stations one in the US, one in Canada. That is Yal Lasowski and David Clement broadcasting weekly on the radio, but also available on all the podcast players. This week, I'll be chatting to Emil Panjao. He's the research manager at the Consumer Choice Center. We talk about the Sharing Economy Index 2022. Very interesting results there. And uh, chatting about the sharing economy in general. Very interesting to learn more about our index, which you can find on the research page on consumerchoicecenter.org. Also, we'll be briefly talking about the energy charter with the exit of Luxembourg and France of, of that agreement. And also, um, Malta legalizes cannabis, but some people are not very happy. So let's get started. So the Energy Charter Treaty is a treaty that dates back to the 1990s and was initially established in order to protect uh, energy companies from essentially their fears that um, they might be nationalized um, by a return of a collectivist socialist style system. And uh, that applied for a very long time, and it allowed also for companies to sue governments based on uh, a loss of potential revenue due to regulation. Now, initially, those rules were implemented um, to essentially to, to not allow a return to a more authoritarian style system where the economic advantages, incentives are not given. And so... All the countries, the signatory countries, and there's over 20 of them uh, in Europe, uh, did that to protect uh, the interests of those companies so that there could be economic development in that area. Now, Luxembourg and France have now exited that treaty, um, which uh, basically is a signal they're trying to say um, these companies can sue us for damages if environmental regulation under uh, undermines their bottom line. And that is not right because we need climate action. Now, it's notable, though, that both Luxembourg and France will still continue to be liable for about 20 years, even after exiting the treaty. That has been um, contested now. They're trying to contest this in court. We'll see how it goes. It's probably going to be a quite lengthy process. It's also going to be interesting to see which countries are also going to follow suit, which countries are going to join France uh, and Luxembourg in this move. Um, now that Macron has kicked off the domino, it seems to be that more countries will probably uh, join him. Uh, however, I think what is important to say here is that in the same sense, we have sort of this unpredictability of uh, countries now, even more so that we ha than we had after the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, with the end of communism, you had some sort of an understanding on the side of, uh, of, of those recently uh, from countries released from Soviet control and collectivism uh, that they wanted economic development anyway. So ultimately, the Energy Charter Treaty was not as necessary uh, as some people uh, thought. But now it seems all the more relevant now that regulatory regimes change as fast as somebody needs to make some promises in COP. And then, you know, companies have really no way of trying to predict what the rules for the next year will be or what the taxes will be. Government is very unpredictable. And expecting a company to operate with a regular cash flow in that sort of environment is not very reasonable. So now if countries do um, uh, think that they can exit this treaty and not notice any of the consequences of that. I mean, we just had, what is it, uh, um, 
uh, Uniper that, that went bankrupt in Germany um, because of the high energy prices. Uh, energy companies are still very important to get uh, your energy from A to B, to extract energy resources. We need more of that now. So trying to hurt energy companies now that we geopolitically just cannot afford it if we want to get out of the grip of the Russian state of our dependence on energy is not really the right time to do it. And next up we have Malta is legalizing cannabis but not everybody is happy. So Malta has decided to legalize cannabis and the reasons are good. Here's the BBC. The answer, at least for lawmakers in Malta, seems to be the former rather than the latter. They have voted to legalize the drug, allowing adults to carry up to seven grams and grow up to four plants at home. We have put an end to the criminalization of people who are not criminals. Secondly, we are going to give uh, to curb uh, drug trafficking, cannabis trafficking, by making sure that people who make use of cannabis now have a safe and regularized way from where they can obtain cannabis. Several countries have already legalized cannabis, Canada among them. It allowed recreational use in 2018. All right, it's a good starting point here, but you can uh, you can tell I am always very skeptical. I've had the experience in Luxembourg, and uh, and we've seen it to some extent also happening in other countries that first governments announce a legalization plan and then they backtrack. So I only believe it when it actually has happened. As a reminder, um, cannabis uh, and and other drugs actually are decriminalized in countries such as Portugal or the Czech Republic. They're treated more lightly in many places, including Denmark. Uh, and, and, and Luxembourg. Now, Luxembourg also wanted to legalize it fully and then backtrack because of EU regulation and international conventions. Um, and then also you have countries that sort of tolerate it. So um, it's de facto legal in a place like the Netherlands, but not really. So you can still get busted if you, if you run a cannabis uh, shop. Uh, production is completely illegal. So there's no real professional business uh, model uh, surrounding, surrounding uh, those countries. Um, cannabis reform critics... Uh, say our fears about law being rushed are confirmed. That is what the Times of Malta says, um, uh, uh, writing about some of the critics of, of the legalization plans. In a statement issued on Saturday, organizations led by Caritas Malta said there was a growing perception within society that cannabis use was now, quote, free for all. Meanwhile, structures cited in the law intended to regulate its use are conspicuous by their complete absence. The statement comes 10 days after the government unceremoniously sacked Mariella Dimek as head of the Authority for the Responsible Use of Cannabis, ARUC, just 10 months into the job. ARUC is responsible for regulating so-called cannabis associations that will be allowed to grow and sell cannabis to registered members, but the authority has yet to issue regulatory guidelines, let alone license associations. Uh, so this is the Times of Malta writing, and uh, it seems that uh, we're sort of dealing with a similar situation that we had in other countries. Uh, a lot of the critics saying this is rushed, it's going too fast, we don't have the regulatory control, it's going to be the Wild West. Um, well, ignoring that it is pretty much the Wild West on the unregulated market, uh, illicitly cannabis uh, is in very high use all across Europe. And of course, the more you have sort of a entry points and trade routes and Malta is definitely one of those countries the more you have access to cannabis and all types of other narcotics um, so it's one of those it's one of those methods that has been lately quite effective in preventing any country in Europe to actually legalize in cannabis we've been talking about this for now 20 years 10 years more seriously I'd say and um, and what we end up with is a lot of countries announcing it and then it never actually happens so I only believe it when I actually see it 
And uh, unfortunately, it appears that Malta is going to be the next victim um, of this kind of thing. Now, I hope I can remain optimistic. Um, but again, um, very careful uh, with my optimism here. Same goes for Germany, which has already announced some type of plans. Very restrictive on sort of the, the distributing agents who can actually produce and, and sell cannabis. And they will also run into the sort of the international uh, rules on uh, on cannabis. There's um, the single convention on the use of narcotics from the 1960s on the UN level. And then there's an EU directive from 2004, which says that all EU member states have to abide by this convention as well. Um, so will those countries go down the route of a country like Canada, which simply ignored those international conventions? Or will it have to actually say, well, look, um, we'll have to change these. Hopefully, hopefully the latter will also happen conjointly with the former. And now we move to the interview of the week. We have Emil Panjao. He's the research manager at the Consumer Choice Center and one of the authors of the new Sharing Economy Index 2022, something we publish at the Consumer Choice Center every year. As a reminder, the sharing economy is everything from ride-sharing platforms such as Uber, and then you have Airbnb and all the scooters and the fast delivery apps for groceries and food. All of these things uh, are accounted for in the index, which you can find on uh, consumerchoicecenter.org. And I chatted to Emil about the relevance of this research, what it should tell lawmakers and consumers. All right, Emil. So it's another year. So it's another sharing economy index uh, 2022. What do you have in store for us this year? What can people find out in this year's edition of the sharing economy index? Well, hi there, Bill. Um, the Sharing Economy Index 2022, I would reckon, is bigger and better than ever. We've ha we have more cities than ever before, 60 cities as opposed to the uh, 50 in previous years. And we've collected all previous regional indices into this wider worldwide index. So we used to have LATAM index, Latin America. Now you're going to find the same cities in the sharing economy, bigger sharing economy index. And we've refined the categories that we look at. So we look at availability and access when we're looking at the sharing economy index, meaning whether that service is allowed or does exist in that city and what sort of regulatory environment is built around that uh, service. So whether whether the thing is very strictly regulated, licensed, overly taxed compared to other services. And we've tinkered around with the categories to include things like ultra-fast delivery apps and also refined existing categories like e-scooters to make sure that it doesn't overlap with e-mopeds or other, other means of transport that you might attach the E to. Mm. So Emil, you're rather new at the CCC, but you've seen the previous editions. When including the regional ones, how do those compare now that Latin America is included in this index? Which region actually outperforms uh, uh, when, when compared to each other on equal terms? Well, it's very interesting because you can see plenty of cities in Latin America outperforming cities in Western Europe by far. So places like Sao Paulo or, or Mexico City, Ciudad de Mexico, are some of the top 10 that we included in this year's index. Uh, and they were less well-performing when compared even to other cities in the Latin American index, most interestingly. So going forward, we would like to include other places from uh, Chile or 
Colombia in our in our index uh, outside of major cities because we've seen those even outperform these ones. Um, and then there are perhaps cities that are or or regions that are not as surprising like Eastern Europe, where we know places like Estonia have heavily invested into the digitalization of of the country, both in politics and economics. Uh, but they still outperform, unfortunately, Western Europe, which tends to put up more barriers towards the sharing economy index. A lot of cities, and unfortunately, also sadly, your own city, Bill, uh, the Luxembourg, Luxembourg city ranks, unfortunately, lowest in the sharing economy index this year with only 40 points. Uh, indeed, and I can I can testify to that. Um, uh, taxis are a fortune. I remember Bird. I think it's about. Uh, it must be pre-COVID. Bird came with their e-scooters, deployed them in a sort of a guerrilla fashion, and then within a day, Luxembourg City had banned them uh, already and to- and told Bird to pick them back up and uh, bring them bring them home to wherever they're from. Um, so there's a message here for consumers, obviously, to learn more about the cities and availability of services. But it's also a message to policymakers when they look at this index. What message do you want to get across um, when legislators look at this index? What should they what should their takeaway be? Yes, I think the main takeaway for regulators is that one size fits all regulation for the sharing economy is a really bad idea if you want consumers and actually workers to benefit from this you know uh, there are plenty of people in the sharing economy who can't be categorized as employees the way that the pro act in the us or uh, the european commission's recent proposals have suggested based on fixed criteria of what it means to have a job in terms of health and safety or collective bargaining or things of that sort they might sound very good on paper it's except that if they're implemented for the sharing economy a lot of people would be out of a job per se, not have not switched to a standard job. They would have no job in that situation because it would destroy the type of flexibility that those sorts of jobs depend on, which doesn't just mean your own working hours, but giving orders to yourself, being your own manager in terms of the tasks and scheduling that you pick up. That is outside of this sort of labor framework. So... Be careful when you think about legislating and also do not put up barriers to legis- to people enjoying these services because, as the index suggests, it makes people's lives a lot more convenient and it allows for a degree of resilience for people to bounce back even from scenarios like uh, the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Kiev is one of the best performing cities in our index this year in spite of everything happening because they let people organize on their own terms. And it's quite it's quite fascinating how adaptable some of these services can be because they're not just uh, in trying to centralize all the services in the company and deciding on how many drivers are needed. These are services where there's flexibilities for drivers, but also, also all types of services. Um, I know that in previous times we've talked about this, but it would be good for you to also remember our listeners the significance of many of these sharing economy services during the pandemic as we were on full lockdown. Um, can, can you just uh, remind listeners on how important it was that those services were available? You don't have to think very far. You can just imagine how the pandemic might have rolled out in the 90s if you're locked down without any Netflix, without any grocery deliveries to your home without being able to access peer-to-peer services in order to 
you know, contract things out at that point, it, it would have been impossible, well, well, unbearable at that point to sit inside your home and, I don't know, enjoy a Tamagotchi instead or... Uh, yeah, in, in, indeed, indeed uh, would have been a very, very different, different mindset. Now, um, as per the, and you mentioned to some extent, sort of the, the, the labor rules that sometimes do infringe on sharing economy services being available, um, is this really just a new versus old kind of economic struggle where sort of the incumbent legacy, uh, uh, and this could be the taxi monopolies, but can this be all types of other services, uh, try to prevent new services from coming on the market? Well, there is an element here of what economists would call in fancy terms transitional gains traps, as in existing companies uh, have heavily invested in things that make them the companies that they are today. For instance, taxis have to pay enormous fees in places like New York's to acquire the rights to be taxi companies. They pay millions of dollars for the very famous now taxi medallions in order to function. So of course, there's these companies don't like it when there's a newcomer who doesn't have to pay all these costs to, to function. But that's part of what makes the sharing economy a lot more viable than existing companies and what and what it it what drives them to benefit consumers think about instead of spending all those millions acquiring these those regulations or complying to those sorts of things that you actually invest them in things that would make things better for consumers so of course those companies are looking at newcomers and being like well i did all this effort why shouldn't you uh even though that's as i said quite economically unproductive and unhelpful for existing consumers. So there is a tendency for some incumbent companies to try and stop this sort of innovation. They have a, a reason to, but... And at the same time, there's pressure in terms of how people view companies' work. For instance, they believe that if they're very progressive-minded that a cooperative among workers would be beneficial for consumers too, but that's not necessarily the case because a, a cooperative among workers just means that workers own the company and control aspects of it. It doesn't mean that they benefit consumers. Taxi companies sometimes, a lot of times actually, are cooperatives co established on a cooperative basis, for instance, in Romania, but that does make them beneficial for consumers. They can be just as hostile they they only want to benefit workers as owners and and also and also sometimes i would say it's misdirected anger i mean i can to some extent i can understand a taxi driver who's on a freelance basis and who had to pay his or her own medallion um, at a very high price and then really has to drive all year to try and get least sort of the return on what they had to pay for the license or whatever you want to call it um but then it's not Uber's fault that that system exists. You know, you should put people, you should create a level playing field and put people on equal footing there. If if the taxi medallion is too expensive, that doesn't make, that doesn't put Uber in the wrong. It's the taxi medallion system that's in the wrong. And we need to change that. Precisely. Now, what is also very interesting that is when the sharing economy started off with companies such as Uber, um, it was pretty much just Uber uh, operating. But since then, we've had quite some movement in that field. It's not just one company anymore. Can you, can you, because I mean, you've researched this quite thoroughly for this index. 
Uh, can you talk to sort of the diversity of different companies and operators and that, that, you know, that don't operate all in the exact same way, don't have all the same look, not all the same services? Um, what, what can you tell us there? Yeah, so we have, uh, including in places like my own hometown, Bolt, as an alternative to, to Uber. But we also have very specific local companies offering professional car sharing services. For instance, one case uh, in Greece involves only electric vehicles. So they can be oriented towards very environmentally friendly or whatever specific goal you might have in mind as a company. Uh, there are also cases where it looked like it was a sharing economy service, but it doesn't actually work as a peer-to-peer -peer service. So one of my, uh, one of my colleagues, Anna, uh, who 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 co-wrote the the report and and the index uh, mentioned her own experience in Turkey with uh, the, the local taxi companies using Uber Uber's platform as a proxy for their own services, but it only looked like a sharing economy service. So we we get we get new innovations competitors, but we also sometimes get false uh, false messaging or mixed messaging. Let's call it not false because. They, they are operating on a on a legal basis, but they're not operating on a sharing economy basis. Right. And for those for those listeners uh, who are traveling to Turkey, I can confirm this. Um, this is this is similar to the model that has been established in Germany. Um, so uh, you call an Uber, but you end up getting a taxi. And so the taxi still operates on a meter. And what you saw in your estimate on your screen isn't uh, what you're paying isn't okay. necessarily what you're paying. Um, I do recommend for those visiting Turkey to take a screenshot of the estimate because drivers have a tendency of putting whatever in the uh, in in the in the final amount that you're supposed to pay, and you can take recourse. And I think that's also another one of these things where you know in the old system where you just had a taxi company, you calling the local taxi company and complaining about your fare doesn't do an awful lot. With Uber, I've had quite uh, positive experiences where Uber says, okay quite disproportionate, they charge you by 10 times more than they should, we're going to adjust your fare. And because you have sort of that recourse as a customer, that does that does uh, uh, give you the opportunity to correct your fare. Um, you know, so on the safety level, you know where you're going, you're a tourist, you don't know exactly where you're at. A lot of these services have improved on that. But I also do see that taxi companies are adapting. You know, I see taxi companies now also starting their own apps, which aren't too bad. So uh, it seems that the sharing economy not only has an advantage for consumers, but it also does help legacy industries understand that there's some technological innovation that they do need to get, uh, uh, that they do need to join. So I think it's quite interesting. I mean that that is the good that is the the upside for everyone about having a a free a free system where everyone is allowed to engage in innovation because even existing companies will adapt to new circumstances they'll 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 provide existing services better than they did before not just new services that weren't there before uh and I think that's the 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 Turkish episode is part of uh, why we wrote the index in the first place to give consumers an informed choice on the matter. If they know that Uber establishes prices in advance and they find themselves in a situation like in Turkey where the actual rule is more negotiation or meter based, then they should know what they can do next. Exactly. Information for consumers. Any concluding words on the sharing economy index? Uh, takeaways for consumers and policymakers? What to do, what not to do? Are you optimistic for the future of the sharing economy? 
Yes, uh, I, I am overall optimistic because the very structure of the sharing economy, as you mentioned, is a very sturdy one that can survive any sort of challenges that it comes across because it's a network. If, if one part of the network falls, then another node in the network can pick things up and innovate and create other nodes instead. Um, so I'm very optimistic and, you know, I want to rate every single uh, every single city as high as possible. So please make it happen for me, regulators. Please uh, remove the barriers to innovation and make sure that the regulatory environment creates like a garden where people have the conditions to innovate rather than try and specifically targeting certain goals. That's what I would like to see, a sort of environment where innovation is allowed to happen. So I can give one... 115 for everyone and feel like it's Harry Potter and Gryffindor and Ravenclaw points. All right. That, that, that sounds, that sounds very optimistic. We like it. Emil, thanks so much for all the listeners. You can find the sharing economy index 2022 by typing it into your search engine or by going on consumerchoicecenter.org. And then you go to research and publications and there you can find the entire index. Compare your city. If you're curious about uh, how your city is performing, there's a nice uh, little ranking. You can find out all the details and methodology if you want to dig deeper. So uh, thanks so much, Emil. And uh, yeah, we'll have you on uh, very soon. And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Emil Panzao on Twitter. It's linked down below in the description of this episode. And also follow the Consumer Choice Center as well on Consumer Choice C. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz. And uh, yeah, see you Thursday. You have to learn.